Welcome to Vino Week, episode 42. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everyone. It's, this is Al. Bill, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. It's uh, it's a lovely Sunday here in Northern California, and it is not raining for once. I think we've had a couple of weekends of consistent rain. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy with the rain. I'm still just because of all the stuff that's going on or has gone on. I'm I'm still not complaining about it. But man, this was a cold rain. This last this last little uh, slurry. We got a little bit of what they had from uh, the polar uh, v- vortex, vortex thing over there. So I don't mind the rain, but ship that cold back east, man. You yeah, don't need that for sure. I was whining about how cold it was. I think on Thursday when it was in the 30s, and then. Uh, Yesterday, I heard what clearly was, you know, I was, wow, it's really raining really hard. I look outside, it's hailing. <laughs> it's hailing. It was, and it was hailing a lot. I mean, it was like hailing like a uh, deluge, like, you know, a big dunk shower hail. It was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, the we, weather's been, about, yeah. We talked about that so many times before. I'm just not, uh, I'm not a fan of the cold weather, you know, so, I mean, if I wanted to be cold, I'd. I would live back east or further north, so yeah, for sure. Strictly California, for sure. And the weather, the the rain is um, wonderful. It's fantastic. Yes, farmers are dancing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it, it um, you know, we need the rain in California. We've had droughts for quite a while. You know, this is a normal winter. What I know is normal. It rains, you know, it rains a couple of days a week. Sometimes it rains five days in a row but uh you know where we're at in the uh in the wine producing area they love the um they love the rain well yeah just here i mean drought is a big thing everywhere uh, of these days you know whether you believe in climate change or not i mean there's less water available for farmers in the last 10 to 15 years i mean that's that's documented proof Well, we've got an article about it, right? We've got an article about how much um, water it takes to um, um, produce a glass of of uh, of wine, and I think they've got it. There's, I mean, this article is basically a press release for this um, organization called the Waterfoot Net Water Footprint Network, but they're saying it takes five liters of water to make a 125 milliliter glass of wine. and five liters. Um, I can't remember how many gallons that is. If it's a full gallon, um, yeah, it's one point three gallons. So, you know, every bottle of wine, you know, it's taken quite a lot. I think I in the article it it said how much it takes to make a bottle, and it came out to like twenty nine gallons or something. Um, although I know a lot of farmers who who you know, don't water their vines that much. I know farmers that water like beginning of the season and end of the season if the vines need it. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty um it's pretty common practice, um in West County anyway. You can see after a after a vineyard's been picked that they turn on the they turn on the spigots for the vines. Um, you know, basically it's like a reward. Okay, you You've made it through, and you produce these grapes. So, we'll you know, you at that water. point, the, the the grapes, the vines themselves, you know, they're they're really just trickling along, you know, because they've they've gone the whole whole growing season without water. 
essentially. Because here, if you don't irrigate, there's not going to be any water for the vines. It's just what is in the ground from the winter. Right. So, right. so that's uh, that's pretty common. But uh, there's not a whole bunch of you know. I, this article, I believe, I don't, I don't think it. I think it mentions halfway through. If we're talking about the same article, one of the things about irrigation is obviously if you water your vines, um, they're going to be able to produce more tonnage. Yeah. So if you, you know, that's why in Europe, um, up until recently, it was against the law to irrigate your vines. And that was part of it was um, was quality related, and the other part was uh, you know to keep the to keep the yields down. So um, here, you know, it's always in California. We always, you know, everyone's always a, a new vineyard's put in. It's it's wired and set for irrigation, yeah. whether it's drip or, or overhead. It's just it's normal. So uh, farmers in general, if you're selling grapes, they like to irrigate because that means more yield which means more money yeah it's that simple it's that yeah. simple um i will also say although anecdotal as this is almost all the winemakers that i've met you know they're conscious about the you know i this words use these words are used a lot stewards of the land you know good stewards of the land and so that means you know most of them probably well acknowledge or at least realize that they're monocropping most of the land that they own which means they're growing one thing grapes are designed to sort of do that or you plant grapes you know they they can live for a long time if you take care of them especially when you see some of these old vines that are you know around west county gnarled old vines that have been around um i'm thinking of a winery near healdsburg that's close they have i think uh their vines are from the 1890s they have at least two acres of vines from that 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 old, and uh, boy, you can taste the chalk in the wine from the gravel yeah. in the road. But they don't, you know, they don't need a lot of care other than you know they need some water plus whatever they get. You know, those root systems are probably so deep they can reach the aquifers. It's only recently because of the droughts that we really start to tap into those deep aquifers. So hopefully, starting to replenish some of these things. But those farmers, my point is those those farmers and they are farmers they you know if they don't take care of the land and they put in a lot of pesticides or whatever other you know things they're doing to sort of make make money you know they realize that it's you know it's not necessarily as they learn more about these about the science around this stuff that that it's sort of counterproductive to you know do things like use a lot of chemicals um you know do a lot of treatments, not take care of the soil, not think about these things. So I, you know, I think in general, the industry is becoming more conscious. That said, the wines that I drink, I don't tend to drink, you know, uh, big bulk, you know, I shouldn't say bulk, but large production wine. So, you know, the large production folks are the folks that are still growing those massive crops, using a lot of pesticides. I think that's just sort of my observation. Um, I would, I'd agree with that. I'd say that, by and large, that's true. I mean, but I mean, it really all for me, it all comes down to economics. If I'm a grower, <clears throat> it's great to have those old vines that are eking out, you know, three quarters of a ton or a ton and a half. 
I mean, that's all. That looks great. It sounds great on the label. But, I mean, what you have to charge for the product, you know, yeah. makes it you have it makes to. it difficult to do yeah. that. Yeah. You and know, you're not the price gonna, has to go yeah. up. So. Yeah. And you're not going to make the big, you know, uh, big, ginormous quantities of wine, you know, in that model. Um, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Um, related to this is another article you have about um, the um, the gentleman in France who's um, uh, he's going to go back to court uh, against Monsanto around Roundup around um, I can never remember the um, proper name for Roundup what they uh, what they call oh uh, glyphosate glyphosate yep. Um, I think he was using a brand of glyphosate that was branded Lasso, um, which I believe I've seen Correct. before. And he, um, you know, he's won rulings, <clears throat> and he's got a lot of health, you know, he details a lot of health issues that he had, memory loss, headaches, stammering, and, you know, says it's all from the, you know, from the product. Um, yeah. But we only recently, there was only uh, only recently, I believe it was somebody from our area that won against Monsanto for glyphosate. Um, I think he was, I want to say he was, um, he lives in Benicia maybe, but he won a multi-million dollar ruling against uh, Monsanto, who was exposed to it, um, I believe is working in San Francisco. But that was the first, that was the first case, I think, uh, um, that was one in the U.S. against it. And it looks like, you know, this is, I mean, it's a big deal. Glyphosate's used huge product. Um, also interesting now that, that Monsanto is now owned by a, uh EU company, right? Because Bayer owns them. That's correct, yes. Yep. So, so, you know, this is a big deal. And, you know, they keep winning, you know, lawsuits more and have more lawsuits filed, you know, legal proceedings, they can do more and more discovery, and I wonder if they're going to find out how much the company knew and when the company knew what they knew. You know, similar to tobacco, people are always looking for that smoking gun. But in a big company, somewhere, somebody probably sent a memo, a memo at once and said, "Hey, I did some research, and like this is bad. Somebody should pay attention." It could happen. Yeah. So, so this guy, he's uh, he's won a couple court cases, and it's going up to another higher court. Is that what's going on? Yeah, I think that seems that's that's what I'm getting from this post. Um, he won this rulings particular... in yeah, oh four, twelve, and fifteen. Jeez, um, it's going on and on, man. Is the guy yeah. going to be around? I mean, I know he's fifty five now, but this could go on for a while. Well, um, so Monsanto was found liable. France overturned it, uh, their top court overturned it, and they ordered a new hearing. Um, so that's what, so basically Monsanto went for an appeal. They won the right for an appeal. So that's what's going to happen right now. Um, the appellate court in southeastern France uh, in Lyon will hear arguments on Wednesday of this, this coming week before giving a ruling. Um, it's interesting what the guy says. He has a he quotes him. He says, "Maybe we'll lose against Monsanto, but the real victory for me is that I've converted my 200 hectare farm to organic production." So I mean, he's he's putting his money where his mouth is because if he's converted to organic uh, farming, he's definitely not making as much money as he did before. <laughs> so it's one of those things. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I was um, 
way, way, way back when I was youngster, um, I worked for a small, um, a small winery in uh, Dry Creek Valley. And, um, well, anyway, um, walking in to their, where they keep their farm tractors and all the farming uh, equipment, they also have an area where all the chemicals are. Yeah. And if you just like pick up one of those containers and turn it around back then and just read all of the cautions that are that are laid out with handling that stuff, that kind of gives you an idea of how dangerous those things are. You know, it, you know, because applying them, I mean, if you're, you know, the whole idea in order to apply them, you have to mix them up first and you have to be extremely careful when you're mixing yeah. these products. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you, you know, most of the manufacturers too, um, you know, provide training on this stuff, how to, how to handle it, what safety equipment you have to wear. My, I, my uncle is actually a crop duster. Oh, okay. And. Um, has been since the uh, probably 70s, 1970s for those who were younger <laughs> back in the day, if you remember that. But he's still flying, and um, he and he has a small company, probably five or six people. They uh, um, they do a lot less spray than they used to do. They do a lot of seeding now, so you know they'll. Um, prep the fields and these guys will come in and spray seed into the field cotton they'll do mm. cotton and corn and all kinds of other stuff but he hasn't had any health health issues around this stuff but i will tell you that they are uh, methodical and meticulous about safety and safety equipment um, especially around those chemicals and there isn't um, a laissez-faire attitude um, that i've ever seen them granted i haven't been around them that much but even even back when I was really young, when I was, you know, uh, in my teens and I saw them, you know, they were super cautious about, you know, mixing chemicals, putting them in the plane, making sure they had safety equipment on at all times. You know, they didn't mess around, I would say, with, um, you know, any of these things. I've also seen the, the, the counter to that. I've been on, you know, farms when I was growing up in Wisconsin where people were just, you know, Ah, that stuff's not going to hurt you. You don't need to wear a mask or don't worry about getting gloves on. And, you know, right. there's cancer and all kinds of other stuff out there. None of that. I'm not saying there's any causal link or any evidence to suggest any of that. But I do find it interesting that we're starting to get people who, you know, say these things where, you know, I, I got exposed to this stuff and I had definitely had symptoms of some type of intoxication later. And then this guy who got just had the, you know, just won the case, you know, got cancer pretty bad cancer that you know the doctors are saying is linked to this stuff um you know the net net is um farming if you know if you go to the vestiges of the weather and the environment you are going to have problems sooner or later these things can help mitigate it um but what's the cost i guess you know that's the real question you know what cost of people and you know that kind of stuff um yeah, I've certainly seen a number of old crusty farmers, you know, kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that's no big deal, you know, just mix it up like this and they don't have their mask on and they're out on their tractor. I mean, there's a few of those guys still out there, but for the most part, you know, 
most guys are following the rules. I mean, if you're out there on the tractor, you're rolling around the vineyard, and you have on a full body suit with with an oxygen mask. That there's your sign. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's your sign, man. And it's not. And by the way, that is not pleasant. It's no, not. It's not. It's not fun to be like all you know, masked up and gowned up, and you know, dealing with this stuff. Um, it's not. You know, and you can't. You know, I think we get spoiled by, you know, I go turn on the tap or the water, you know, we're around chemicals in our environment all the time. Soap, detergent, yes. you know, acids, lemon juice is an acid, people. It's got a pretty low pH, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we don't think about that stuff. Um, and you get casual about it and then you go into an industrial environment like that. You know, people kind of used to hand wave that stuff. The other thing I think that we, um, the other thing I like to pontificate about all this stuff, it's similar to tobacco. Yeah, there was a cover-up by a corporation. I'm not dismissing that. That was a bad thing, and we definitely need to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. But back in the day, when glyphosate came out, it was like a miracle thing. It allowed people to grow stuff where you couldn't grow before. People got to eat because of that. Um, There was also a pretty big study recently that, all of the industrial farm, I'll just say industrial farming practices with chemicals and, you know, monocropping and the food that comes from that really wasn't any, didn't show any real difference in the human body between those that ate organic and, you know, supposedly clean. Um, but the benefit to, to the globe was massive. I mean, people, we lifted people out of poverty because of that type of farming. So it's a real tricky balance in my brain for you know how this happens yeah. plus we're gonna learn over time that wow glyphosate it's okay one time or two times but if you use it three times then it becomes toxic well we didn't know that so you know whose fault yeah. is that who has to get sued you know if somebody covers that up and they find out covers it up that's a bad thing so um anyway enough about enough about that but it'll be interesting to see what happens this is a massively huge business and it has impact. Um, if farmers can't use this stuff, there might be less food available globally. It could happen. I, I feel like we've tapped into your farming gene there, Bill, yeah, a little sorry. bit. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. if, if anyone didn't notice, Bill's pretty passionate about farming, good, bad, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's I cool. I think it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's hey. good to grow stuff. It's pretty awesome to be able to grow food to eat. Especially if you just like put a seed in the ground, it's like wow. Um, yeah. Um, in fact, I was somewhere yesterday where somebody's got a tomato plant growing in the city of Santa Rosa, um, and they took really good care of this vine because tomatoes are effectively a vine. Um, it's still alive. Um, where was it again? I think you, you broke up a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. You. It's a tomato plant that's right smack. Well, it's like in the. It's at the corner of like Third and um, that's like a block off Courthouse Square. But yeah, they planted this in front of their business, and they took man the fruit. Okay. The fruit that this vine gave off this year was massive, um, but still alive. <laughs> Fed a lot of homeless people. Right on. Fed a lot of homeless people. Yes, that's great. <laughs> no, they would. They would. They would be like, "How oh, we're gonna pick this tomato?" Could they come in the next day, and they'd be gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh yeah um 
you know, speaking of, of um, uh, you know, let's let's talk a little bit more about chemistry and bad wine. So you, you posted a, um, uh, an article about how to fix bad wine. Um, and we had talked in an earlier podcast, I think, about using cellophane to uh, uh, get rid of bretomyces. And that's, yeah. a, that's a legit trick. And uh, this article actually uh, goes into a number of different techniques to fix wine, including adding some sugar, um, the, the, uh, you know, the obvious and evident one of letting it breathe, um, you know, just giving it some air, um, putting some um, juice in it, some lemon juice in it. Again, I, I, you know, we just said that lemon juice is acid, so if you want to balance the acid in wine, um, that might work. But he does say, um, uh, talk about cellophane and how the chemical process works. Uh, the, the compounds that make up bretomyces are actually similar to some of the compounds in the plastic, and they attract to each other. So you literally can pull the bret out of the wine by doing that. It's crazy. That's a crazy technique. Yeah, it's pretty nutty. I've, I've tried it, like I said before, and it, it improves the wine, but... It doesn't really, I mean, I guess that's the point to make it to where you could kind of drink it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, you know, the other thing is, is you have to remember too, if you have a really, um, a strong palate and can taste a lot of stuff, oftentimes there are people who don't have a sensitive palate. So that trick might work really well in that case. Um, there we go. Yeah. Plus there's people who like bread, bread of myosis. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the part, parts in this, the, the one that resonated with me was that I find is is kind of useful is uh, there's a little thing that says chilling it out. And that's yeah. really true. That's a that's a nice little trick. Yeah. If you get a, um, if you have a wine or this even goes for beer. I mean, it literally goes for any beverage. But let's say you have a, a, a beer and it just is not. It's just not working for you. You really don't like the taste, but just stick it back in the fridge or throw it in the freezer and just chill it down a lot. And what that coldness does is it mutes the flavor. It dampens down. So, it it yeah. dampens down everything, so you can't taste it. Yeah. So I mean, you just want that. You want that that uh, freshness. You want the pop of the the car- carbonation and everything. You get all that, but you don't get all the bad flavors. So that is a way to make. Something that's a little um, unpalatable, a little bit better for you is to just give it a, a really good chill. Yeah, that's um, uh... and that definitely works. And conversely, um, say you have a wine, um, you know, they always talk about room temperature, and you have a wine and you have it in your house. I mean, room temperature out here is, I mean, it's seventy degrees, right? In the yeah. summer, I'd say. Yep. And in other areas, room temperature could be seventy-two, seventy-four. Uh, that's really too hot that's really for a uh, red wine. It's too warm. It's too warm yeah. for a red wine. So um, it's not going to taste good. No, no. It, I mean, it, it at all. The fresh, it takes away the freshness of it. So, yeah. um, you know, if you're going to have a red wine, you really want to have it. You, you want to get down to that 65%, you know, 60 to 65. That's that's the, that's your starting point. I think it's a, yeah, it's a really good point. A lot of people don't realize um, red wine is actually it's good to serve it a little uh, a little chilled like not room temperature like you say 60 65 degrees in that range um, well it's gonna just taste better 
yeah, you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it more. That is for sure. Um, and speaking uh, of bretomyosis, they're, uh, they're, they are starting to use uh, dogs to uh, sniff it out in the wineries. Um, there's a, uh, and the dogs are what, from Argentina? Or... I think the dogs are from, uh, from somewhere in South America. I can't remember right now. I just read this. Be, they're from Chile. Chile, Santiago, Chile. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed about this article is they they uh, they mentioned their outpost in Sonoma County, like it's like it's you know somewhere on the frontier. Yeah. <laughs> you know how the outpost in Sonoma. Um, no, I just thought that would it just struck me as funny. But um... well, well, Britannomyces is a is a pretty serious thing in a winery. Like I mean, this goes back to remember we were talking about um, the Napa winery over over uh, that was suing over the six hundred gallons of uh, Cabernet that bit the dust. Yeah, and that's mentioned um, that's mentioned in this article that it's a you know it's a big problem and how they detect it's a problem. It's kind of like air sampling. Good luck. Yeah. It's, it's a problem because not only is it a problem for the current vintage or the wine that may be affected and may be abused, but it's also a problem for future wines. So once it's in, once uh, Britannomyces gets in your winery, I mean, you got some serious work, man. You got to you got to get rid of it, you know, and uh, that's why people are so so careful about it, because it can be extremely difficult to locate and eradicate. Yeah. Um, this is where the Labrador Retrievers come in. Yeah, yeah. So I can just, I just picture this in my mind, you know, couple, you know, guys rolling up in their truck, you know, they open up the door and a couple of canine dogs, you know, <laughs> pop out. Yeah, people... then, I mean, can you imagine being the winery owner? You know, you want to get, you want to figure out this bread thing. You want to figure it out. Yeah. So, yeah. But you got to be a little skeptical. You right. Know? Well, dogs just like run around my winery. I. <laughs> I, well, there's that. that my the the other immediate thing is you might see a few of your employees start to flee. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good point. Good point. Not thinking that they're after bretomyosis. <laughs> that's, that's funny, man. Yeah, I, but uh, yeah, what a great business, huh? To train these dogs. I mean, because there's def, there's definitely a need for that. For sure, I think that it's really interesting and novel use of a dog like that plus they're you know they tend to they can isolate where this is as opposed to you know they made an analogy of how they did do the chemical detection for this now which is effectively hanging you know a fly trap up you know they they put these sensors up at the top of the winery doesn't really tell you where it's at um, right but speaking of retomyosis there's a, a, a winemaker in in napa who um, is experimenting with bretomyosis in, in her wine. Um, and she had she had been doing some further education working on her, uh, I think on her master's, and was studying yeast. And so bretomyosis is one of the things that she was looking into. But she added it to some of her Pinot Gris, and she continues to, to you know, uh, make more of it. She made 30 cases in, um, I think maybe in 17, and in 18 she made 50. But what she's trying to tap into are the the sour beer fans that are out there. There's a lot of sour yes. beer fans. Um, here in Sebastopol, there's Woodford Brewing. They are 
big sour beer people. You can go in there today. They probably have more than one sour on tap. The Russian River folks, they played with that stuff for years and also Lost Abbey. So those are um, were all beers. In fact, they they talk more. Um, there's a couple paragraphs here just, you know, dedicated to the beer producers that are, um, you know, making it. But I read that this article, and I'm like, hey, I want to go find a bottle of this stuff and just see what it's like. Um she says that it, as with most, you know, yeast is a pretty diverse thing as far as a um, an organism goes. And she said there are versions of Brett that have good flavors. And she's saying it's adding, you know, <laughs> they mentioned some lovely things here, like it can taste or smell like vomit um, and, and other really nasty stuff. It can also add um, interesting flavors like fruit um, and, you know, yeah, a little bit of that barnyard to the point that it enhances, not takes away from the wine. Um, I think it'll be acquired taste. There are people who just like can drink this and taste good, and other people that you know it doesn't taste like, you know, it tastes rotten and you know vomit flavor. <laughs> That's what the article yeah, says. Yeah, putrid. A, a trained, uh, a, a trained enologist, <clears throat> or I would say most trained enologists or winemakers. Uh, would definitely be against the idea of adding Britannomyces to their to any of their yeah. this any is... of their wine, and let alone. I mean, I I haven't read I read this article a while ago, but I believe I, I kind of, I'm locked out of the site because I guess I've looked looked at it too many times. But yeah. I, I'm almost positive that this Pinot Gris that she's making is not at her place of work. It's something that she's doing on the side, i.e. Oh, oh she is not. Yeah, she's not. She's not adding. She's not uh, bringing in this bacteria to the winery where she works. It's, it's something. Oh no, it's in it, her basement of her home. It yeah. says that in the so, article. She took so it there, home or garage. So, she took it home and made it. Yeah. So there's your there's your sign that you know this is you know it's not really something to mess around with willy nilly because I mean it's it's you could ruin a lot of. A lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you did this around. in your winery, you'd have to do it in a in a in a contained, you know, in a contained area. You would have to have a very, like, almost like a clean room. Yeah, I um, don't know if anyone would, would be willing to do that because it's it it migrates so easily. Oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not just in the barrels. It's it could be it could be in wood pallets. It could be on the barrel rack. Any any well, you know, we've talked we've talked before about. Um, you know how this stuff's how this stuff spreads, and we've also talked about natural yeast and fermentation. You know, from just sort of what's in the air. So you know yeah. that gives you a, you know a good example of you know how you know you can't really control this stuff unless you literally do lock it. Like you have a clean room where you know you clean before you go in, you clean when you come out. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know. Um, for for our for our listeners, uh, Britannomyces it has um, you know wines that have bread in them. You, you're not going to run across that too much in the New World, but you do run across it in the Old World. And um, you know I won't go into the reasons why, but if you're interested, you could buy some wines from say I think probably one of the best places is um, and this is not a knock on French winemakers. <laughs> <laughs> is, to, is to buy some wine from France from a smaller producer, you know, that's been around for a while, uh, you know, that doesn't have an ultra-modern brand-new winery. 
and try some of their wines. And, and what you'll find is it some of those wines have hints of Brett in them. And what it is for me anyway, for, for my nose, it's uh, it's kind of a leathery, um, um, as Bill mentioned, kind of barnyardy type of uh, aroma. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that would most be of those manure, wines, folks. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. The Gucci Dewar. You feel like you're really out there with the animals. <laughs> Sweaty saddle type of thing. Now, some of them. What happens is um, when you get these wines, that's all you get. And sometimes you can decant them real, real vigorously and wait for a bit, and that can blow off, and you can enjoy the wine. Sometimes it just stays with the wine. You can't get rid of it. But, um, you know, it's obviously if you're selling a product, I mean, it's going to turn a certain number of people off. So that's not what they're looking for. Anyway, there's your quick uh, refresher on uh, retanomycin. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Um, you know, speaking of, uh, of, of drinking, do you want to talk a little bit about the, um, um, the, uh, the wine still sold out article? Uh, yeah, well, you know, there's one interesting aspect of that and that's, um, where wines are made and, uh, the, the bulk part of the wine industry, I think, is, is I, I believe, for me, that's the most interesting aspect of that article. Um, this is this article is about um, wine still sold out, and I haven't dealt with them, but I, they have a really good rep. But they did get into some hot water for, uh, they ended up in court uh, selling wine, uh, uh Basically, their thing was they'd say, here's a wine. Um, they um, they have the wine. They have it listed. They tell everything about it, but they can't tell who produces it because this is some extra wine that they had somewhere else. So then on their site, they go, you know, this is from a noted producer, blah, blah, blah. They made a 95-point wine. Da, da, da. Here it is. And here it is discounted here for 30% less. The problem was that the wines that they were saying were, were discounted for X amount less were never actually for sale anywhere. So that's where they got it. So it's a technical thing. That's kind of where they got into trouble. Now, a lot of people don't realize, but in a winery, when you're making wines, sometimes you cap your production at a certain amount. And that's to, you know, it could be for a variety of reasons. It's simple. You, it's simple. It's the law of supply and demand. If you have a limited <laughs> supply, you can increase your price if you have the demand. So wineries will make 7,000 gallons and only sell five because they can, they've met their production and profit at that level. And the rest of it, that other 2,000 gallons gets sold somewhere. Yeah, it gets sold or it's bottled. You know, this is what wineries do. They'll bottle it and uh, typically it's just sold. It's sold in bulk. So, you know, you'll get a hold of a, um, a, a buyer or you just listed uh, in the classifieds and say, I've got, you know, Wine. I've got 1,500 gallons of Cabernet Sauvignon from, you know, and the guys will come by, they'll taste it. Hey, that's good. We'll buy it. Uh, truck comes by, they, 
you know, blast it off and um, move it into the truck, the tanker truck, and it rolls to where the facility is, and then they bottle it. Yep. There's it a lot a of that. Wine a whole bunch of that going on. <laughs> yep. And then why? And, and then, I mean, to your point, a company like Winetel sold out uh, basically retails it. So they, that's that's how they sell their wine. And you can get some ridiculously awesome wine for very little money. This yeah, you get you're just not getting the fancy label. You're getting, uh, you know, I mean, if you care about wine and that's what you want, that's what that's what Cameron Hughes built his business yeah. on. He, that's what he did. He went around and uh, he bought wine on the bulk bulk market and said, hey, this is Rutherford Cabernet. And instead of it being listed at, uh, you know, eighty dollars a bottle, this is, you know, <laughs> this winery that made it. I'm selling it to you for twenty two. Exactly, you know? and I can buy lots of it at Costco for very little for for nineteen ninety five a bottle. Yeah. So, um, you know, what that also illustrates is it tells you the true value of these products that we, the consumers, are buying. I mean, not the true value. It tells you the the base value or the cost of production. If uh, if you can go and buy some Cabernet. At Costco for for twenty five dollars, Napa Cabernet for twenty five dollars or for thirty dollars. That's a pretty good reflection of what that bottle costs to make. Yeah, it's a fairly good re- reflection because Costco's only adding on 10, 11, 12 percent on top of that. So do the math. Now that same bottle, it, it could be it could be a hundred dollars if you're buying it at the winery. And the reason it's a hundred dollars is it's got that brand's name on it. It's from Napa Valley. And I mean, what's that's, not that's to like? It. What's not to that's like? That's it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a so marketing is a huge part of the markup on these wines. I mean, it's it's a huge part of the markup. The other thing I will say about this article is it it has given me cause to start perusing the uh, WTSO wine sell sold out site. Uh, it sounds like these guys have a pretty good reputation in terms of taking care of their customers. He mentions a couple instances in there where he's bought wine from them and, um, you know, had to had to work with them for some reason. So very interesting company. I'll check them out. Yeah, it seems like they really uh, care about uh, their customers. And I know the guy um, that owns the company wants to put it all aside and everything. But, you know, it, it was almost like a technicality. On, oh, yeah. on what they're doing. It's, it's literally the wines are they're discounted and I think I don't think the guy did anything wrong. No. <laughs> Personally. No, God no. I mean it, no. He broke a rule. Somebody really, really wanted to you know it's like somebody could, could do a citizen's arrest for speeding. Yeah. And so yeah. they're gonna, you know, spend millions of dollars to get you a uh, speeding ticket. I that's my opinion. Um, he certainly wasn't delivering a bad product. Um, no, and I'm I'm happy like that it's it's I'm happy. I know he's happy that it's behind it's him. I think at the beginning, um, uh, when uh, <laughs> when the when the blogger was writing, when I think his name's Jeff, when he was writing about this, he was saying, "Well, you know, he was kind of vacillating back and forth. I don't know if I should publish this or not." But then after, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. go ahead and just put it out in the air. So I kind of get the feeling maybe. Uh, Maybe the president of um, uh, Joe Arkin, the president of uh, Wine Still Sold Out, is probably like, ah, I wish that hadn't got out, you know? Yeah. But, but I mean, to, to, to my point is, I mean, he really, it, it seems like it's a good company, and it seems like they're doing good things. I personally haven't ordered anything from them, 
um, because just nothing's really popped up that I've Been really wanted that they sell. Yeah. So, but I've I've looked at their stuff. I just have, haven't ever done business with them. Gotcha. Speaking of doing business, it looks like the uh, Indian government has uh, successfully managed to get um, our favorite uh, our our favorite wealthy criminal. I guess I shouldn't call him a criminal. I don't think he's been convicted of anything yet. But um, no, just trying to get him to court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so it looks like they were pretty uh, successful in getting him um, extradited back to India. Although, uh, so we're talking about VJ Malia. Um, well, I don't think he's back. I don't think he's in India yet. Well, not yet. Not yet. So they won yeah. the extradition, but he's successfully got an appeal going on already. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and uh, it's over yeah. one point. I looked it up earlier. It's one point around one point three billion. I think that this guy is uh, into the banks for. Jeez. Now, the other <laughs> interesting thing to know about this is that the current prime minister of India, uh, whose name last name is Modi, I think M O D I. He ran on a platform of anti-corruption, and they see this as the the public, you know, cast this as public corruption. So basically, a wealthy person was able to get more money. They, you know, they get loans and stuff, and he just kind of spent however he saw fit. Doesn't sound like there was, you know, uh, there were issues with how the you know business was operated. Now they, you know, the people are gonna the people, the Indian people, are left in the people who put their money in those banks are left holding the bag for his largesse and they're trying to make him pay um it was funny because one of the reasons that they were fighting the extradition was the conditions at the jail in india um and it's a famous jail i can't remember it's something road jail but the british authorities the british high commission in india went and inspected the jail there's even pictures. If you look at the article, there's a video uh, on I that post. That's um, cute. Yeah. The, the Brits are like, no, this is fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> We're ready to send him off. Him and his V8 motorcycle. Well, you know, he um, – <laughs> uh, I was reading maybe a, a, a few days ago. He's actually applied for um, a visa to travel to – I think it was – a couple of different countries. One <laughs> one might have been the United States and maybe somewhere in South America because he has some businesses Ecuador. in other areas and he needed to go and check on his businesses. So he applied for a visa. Of course, it got denied. But uh... yeah, he's going to go visit Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy. And they're going to become buds. <laughs> that would be funny. Awesome. That would I mean, be, you, know, you got to try. If you don't give it a try, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that's pretty, that's, uh, what have you been drinking? Oh man, uh, shoot, uh, I've been drinking, uh, drinking a bunch of different stuff actually. Anything good? Um, uh, I just opened up last night, um, I'm not really prepared to talk about it too much, but I've had, this is a, you see that label there? Yeah. This is, um. Um, a Santo Chianti Classico uh, Reserva. It's a 2015. Uh, go buy some of this if you're a Chianti fan. That's the first thing I'll say. Um, it retails for about 20, 
$23 to $25 a bottle. It's from a fantastic vintage. Um, I've had this wine. I've had every vintage of this wine for probably like the past seven or eight years. And this is, I think, the best one wow. of those seven or eight years. So um, it's really, really pretty, um, beautiful. Uh, it's uh, it's predominantly Sangiovese. It's got some uh, uh, some Caniolo and a little Colorino in it. And um, the family is, um, I'm going on memory here. I think her name is uh, uh, Laura Bianchi. She's the um, she's the um, owner of the winery. Uh, they've been um, they've been making this wine for quite some time. I'm I'm um, I'm stammering a little bit here because I don't have a whole bunch of history in front of me on it. But um, the wine itself is fantastic. It's just um, sweet, pure, and clean are like the three adjectives that come to mind when I think about this wine. I just opened it up last night. Um, it performs really well when you first pop it um, and put it in the glass, but it really is a, a wine that demands a nice 30 minutes in the decanter because it really started time. going and taking off after it had been in, been in the decanter for a while. Um, it's you should, you should go out and you should try to get it now because it always sells out really, really quickly. I don't believe it's rated yet, but once the rating comes out, um, you know, Galoni and all those people, once they rate it, I'm, you know, I don't rate wines, but this is going to be in the, in the mid 90 percentile for sure. So, yeah, so it'll uh, have good ratings. So it'll probably go then. Yeah. It's going to go really fast. That's so I would jump on it now because it's just been released in the last month and I got it from down South from wine X and I think they sold out of it already. So that's, uh, that's one wine I've tried. Uh, the other wine that I tried, I don't know if I told you about this or not. Uh, this goes back to um, our friends at Bottle Barn. Look at that tacky label, my friend. Wow. Does that say Flacco? <laughs> it does. It's wow. like, what is that? It's the tackiest label I've ever seen, but it's Tempranillo. Yeah. That could be a beautiful label to somebody, though. Yeah, maybe, I guess, yeah. But, <laughs> you but, know. But I, there's not, it's just, it's like, oh, we got to put something on there. Yeah, you know? it looks like a label I had to create with PowerPoint in about 15 minutes. I'm just saying, <laughs> I think I might be able to do that. It looks like a little word art on the side of the bottle. Um, I'm not making it's a judgment, not, I'm just saying. Ah, yeah, I know. <laughs> just saying. It's all, it, it's all Tempranillo, man. And you pour it in the glass, it's a light, um, it's kind of got of a, a, a real light movie color. Um, it's organically farmed. That's what kind of turned me on. So I had to check it out. But it's from r right smack dab in the middle of um, uh, Spain. It's from uh, uh, it's uh, a Vino de Madrid. So um, and it's it's farmed at a pretty high elevation, actually twenty four hundred um, foot elevation. Um, it gets pretty warm there. It's uh, it doesn't have any oak. It's unoaked, so it's just pure Tempranillo. And it's seven bucks, and it's probably wow. the it's one of the better bottles of wine I've had this month, man. Wow. I mean, it's just uncomplicated because it hasn't seen any wood, and it's fresh, and it's not it's something that you buy. It's it's pop and drop. You drink it right now, and it's delicious, man. <laughs> it's really good. That's a good tip. So um, I you picked find up some Flaco. Yeah, yeah, I would sell I would, some Flaco. Yeah, I, w I would find this. Um, kind of like the quarterback, huh? Joe Flacco. <laughs> Just getting the job done. 
there you exactly. This is a just getting the job done wine. But no, this is a great wine. We had it a couple times with pizza. By the way, yesterday was like uh, National Pizza Day or something. That's right. But I'd had pizza for like, the, I've been on a pizza binge for the past couple of weeks. I didn't have pizza yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> pizza is a food group in my home. So, <laughs> you know, I'll eat, I eat pizza every day. I hate to say it, but it's true. And I will drive to find good pizza to eat. Yeah, I, who does that? Come on, yeah. I do. I do. Plus, you, you've you've got a lively audience. Oh yeah, yeah. You've got a good audience. I, it's too. A, yeah. so those those are my two suggestions for vino. Gotcha. What, what you got? You know, I don't have any um, uh, uh, wine or um, beer recommendations uh, with the with the side, uh, with the exception of. Uh, P- Pliny the Younger is released and for those of you who are in the uh, beer world uh, Pliny is a triple IPA that's brewed by Russian River they make a limited quantity The uh, I was downtown Santa Rosa yesterday morning at 10 o'clock and there was a line around the block already Pliny's already been out a week um, um, and there's already you know there was still a line there and it, it even after they opened it uh, the brewery at 10.30, I was still there. It was still sort of, you know, lined up around the block. And they have two locations. You can only have three Plinies if you go in. They're really hot. Um, it If you've ever had a triple IPA um, and you're anywhere near and can get to the brewery, I highly recommend going. It is, it is a, an amazing beer. It's so clear and so clean. Um, it, you'll be amazed. And... The other thing I want to try this year is their brewer um, uh, said in the local paper in the Santa Rosa Press Democrat that you should try, if you're into it and can do it, you should try Pliny the Younger at both locations because they will be different. They will be different in some respect. He didn't say how. He said he didn't want to really comment about that, but just because they're made in two different places, they'll be different. And as we just talked about yeast in the air and the other things that are around a winery or a brewery, these things all go into affecting the um, uh, the product. The other thing I don't know is I'm sure they treat their water. So mm-hmm. that that's where I was going. Yeah, they'll treat their water. So I, I'm super interested to see what happens with that. Like, is that water chemically that I, I'm going to make the assumption that it's chemically the same if you test it at both locations but it'll still be different so it's really um uh, really interesting the other tip i'll tell people is if you are in santa rosa um you can stay in santa rosa there's a lot of hotels downtown there's quite a nice little uh beer um, and some wine happening in santa rosa but there's a new local train here that you can walk to from downtown get on the train and take it to the airport train stop in Santa Rosa, there's a bus that will take you to the Russian River Winery and through uh, a number of different wineries and breweries in Windsor for no cost. Um, and so they they run that on the weekends, evidently. A great tip. Yeah, I didn't know that. So you don't have to worry about driving. The other thing the breweries are doing during beer beer beeruary or beer February, I think there's four or five breweries that have gotten together. They have a bus, so you can pay like. 20 bucks and it'll take you to five different breweries it'll take you to cooperage it'll take you to moonlight it'll take you to hen house hen house has their own version of a triple ipa called big chicken it's worth a try um 
um, it'll take you to Fog Belt, and I can't rem- maybe did I say Cooperage? Uh, you did uh, one yeah. other, but those a couple of those breweries are close to the train, so you can really kind of get around um, and not have to worry about drinking and driving. Yeah, I like that idea because when you said the limit was uh, you know three, it's three. Three, I mean, and there are eight I, ounces. You know, I'd be on the floor, man, after having three of those. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, those, you know, it's not for me. That's not enjoyable. It, it's yeah. not enjoyable. I do understand if you've made the trek from somewhere in the country that you might want to sit in there and have a couple of those things because it might be the the only last thing. Um, so anyway, there's the other thing I'll say if you're in, into beer, it's beer you're wary. It's you know, it's a, um, a, um, beer week was last week, but there's still a lot of stuff going on. It's kind of beer month. Um, so there's a lot of interesting food and beer um, and different types of beer being released during this time. so it's a good it's a good time to visit. The other thing, um, we had the uh, um, um, we got to go try uh, Thomas Keller's Mexican restaurant last night, La Candela. Um, one of my sons had a basketball game in Napa, so we just on a whim went over there. Hour 45 to get in. Oh What's, my God! Is that is that in Yountville? It was in Yount. It's in Kellerville. Yeah, it's in Yountville. Okay. It's like right next to. Good. It's literally next to Bouchon. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. like you know, it's like Bouchon, uh, La Candela. There's the Atelier. I, I'm probably not saying that right. I think that's his like provision store that he runs, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think he's involved in that. Um, food was. Uh, it wasn't an hour forty five to get in. That's what they said when we went in. Turns out it was only like forty minutes. Um, nice. But the place was when we left. Um, there was a guy who was clearly in the restaurant business. At least he said he was, and he knew a bunch of people there. It was like two hours to get into this place. Um, we eat a lot of tacos in my house. Uh, these are some of the. They was it was what you would expect from a Keller restaurant. The service was. I'd, you put a plate down. It's dirty. It's gone. And there's a new no, new one there. And you don't like. You're not even looking okay. up. Um, yeah. You know, your glass is empty. It's can we, would you like something else? Are you sure you want anything else to eat? So the service was exactly what you expect from a high-end restaurant. It wasn't mm-hmm. that expensive for what I would, Keller food. So two tacos were like 11 bucks, 11 to 12 bucks, depending on what you were going to get, or 11 to 13. Um, their Al Pastor tacos made on the vertical spit with the pineapple on top, like they're supposed to be properly done. You need a chote um, salsa that was on it was amazing um i think we ate like three orders of those i could have eaten another order by myself before i left um i would have been a pig but um if you're there and you're um desiring mexican food as a change of pace from wine tasting it's a great place to go they have a lovely cocktail menu with all kinds of different mezcals and and tequilas so you know you can have that type of beverage if you'd like sangria too obviously um so it's a so this was in the evening right we got there right around 5.15, and by, you know, we probably left at 7-something, and it was it was nonstop. It would be a fun place to work as a young person because of that. It's not yeah. boring. It's, I mean, it's like moving. Uh, handmade tortillas. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was what you would expect. I was like, oh, Thomas Keller's Mexican place. I bet you it's good. No, it was off the charts good, and it was, you know, you get that high-end service too, which is like, you know – weird kind of weird in a taqueria yeah yeah it's pretty unusual <laughs> yeah now they had Did a bunch you, um, of they had a bunch for lunch no 
but they're talking about opening for lunch. Um, and the guy that was in the restaurant business, I didn't, you know, we we're just kind of just standing next to each other chatting. He said that the place will go, you know, it'll go insane um, at lunchtime. It's a perfect place to go to lunch. Um, well, that's fact, what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I, I was I was working that area um, last week, actually, and I drove right by. But, it, you know, it wasn't open. No, I was, it opens you know, And I was kind of, uh, I've, I've, you've talked about it before. I think you mentioned it before. Yeah. So I was interested in um, checking it out. But, you know, when you said an uh, hour and a half, I don't have an hour and a half to wait. You know, I, I'm on the move. Yeah. But uh, I would imagine at lunchtime, it, you know, you wouldn't have such a long wait like that. So it might be worth my while if they open up for lunch. I'm also, you know, one of the reasons we went to that restaurant is I have people who can access that restaurant. You know, we go to Bouchon or some other restaurant that's, you know, not that we go to. It, it's also a special occasion place. This place isn't cheap. It's not a place mm-hmm. we'd go to every week. Um, so, you know, it, it was nice to take the family to a place that they could all enjoy and certainly appreciated the service. It was like the right sort of like fancy restaurant for my crowd. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was accessible to them and they were like, wow, this is like, you know, people are picking up plates. And so that was kind of fun. The restaurants also, when the weather gets nice, is going to be a killer place to hang out because of the way they've they've remodeled the restaurant. Basically, the back of the restaurant opens all glass doors into a patio mm-hmm. um, and they have big patios around the side. It's all landscapes, really. It's kind of got that Spanish colonial thing going, um, but they can open the restaurant a lot. Uh, with big, you know, they have big sliding doors, um, so the place can be quite open. Um, I wish they just vend their tacos like out of a, you know, window, like taco truck yeah. style. That's never He's gonna. Not gonna I don't do that. No, Keller's no. not gonna do that. But man, I, I might even drive over there and get some more of those tacos. They were really good. <laughs> no, but uh, a, a great your experience. Boss is, your boss would be like, Bill. Where, what, what are you, are you doing, doing over there yeah, in Napa exactly. Valley? Exactly. <laughs> Where have you been for the last three hours? Um, the other thing I'll say is if you kind of want to have that Keller experience and not drop, you know, 150, 130, 200, 300 per person, um, which you can do. I mean, French Laundry's, you know, uh, an expensive, well, expensive restaurant, but, you know, you're getting some pretty special food and experience there. This is a place you can experience some of you know, somebody's treatment of a cuisine using their techniques and their, you know, restaurateur skills for not completely but breaking the bank. Um, I think the most expensive thing, like the cocktails are expensive, you know, Naturally, um, yeah. as you experience. But, yeah, definitely worth kind of checking at, uh, checking it out. And, it, you know, the my, my boys were just impressed with Yountville. It's a it's a beautiful town. Yeah. Man. Well, it's like somebody took a Hollywood movie set, staged, you know, hey, we're gonna build a town in wine country with restaurants and, you know, stuff stores. Yeah. 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 That's what Yountville looks like. It's all landscape. There's sidewalks. They're all lit. You know, we, you know, all the buildings kind of are done. The they've kind of kept done a good job keeping the style going. So, um, and it was busy. You know, it was a nasty day. You know, it was cold, it was raining, and it was chucking down rain. The place was packed. The town was packed. Wow, that's great. That's good news, man. Yeah. Especially in the middle of the uh, beginning of February. That's great news. Yeah. Yeah, my other ramble about it is, too, you can definitely tell there's an international crowd. There was definitely an international crowd there. There were people from all over the world there. Um, you could just tell. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, you can hear different accents as people or people are talking. 
um, uh, even down to the way you know you meet you know you meet somebody as you're coming into or out of a restaurant. Um, you know, Americans will go a certain way, left or right. If you drive on the other side of the road, people will go a different way. I saw a couple yeah. of people run into each other. <laughs> it was. I'm like, oh, you're probably not from around here. Um, anyway, hey, I recommend um, it. Check it out. I will check it out. We will check it out. It gives an it gives an excuse to get over there for the evening and do something. Because I mean, we've kind of gotten. You know, I I don't go over there as frequently as I as I could because it's it's like really close. I mean, yeah. it's 45 minutes and you're there. Yep. Um, but uh, I have to put that on my radar. Yeah, and, it's definitely and head over worth there. A, definitely worth a drive for sure. Hey, I just popped up on um, a wine site real quick, and um, that Monsanto that I was talking about earlier. Right. It's uh, it's gonna go quick. It got a Wine Spectator 94, <laughs> and uh, go out now. Yeah, and it got a 96 from um, from uh, what's his name, James. Uh, oh God, I forget the guy's name, but it's got a 96 and a 94. So yeah, run to the store, or you know, uh, you better order, order quick. <laughs> It's going to go or fast. Be gone. All right. I think that's a wrap. Yeah, it is. And sometime maybe we could talk about the whole thing about wine scores and uh, how wines uh, go fast. We could probably, maybe we should make that a topic one of these days. Yeah, we should. Kind of interesting. All right, everyone. We appreciate uh, everyone listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Uh, Bill, how do they get a hold of us? You can yeah, email us at info at vino101.net. You can always Twitter um, Al's on the Twitters on a religious basis, so Twitter to Al, and um, Twitter me. You can always um, you can always leave a post on our website at Bino One. Thanks for listening. Right on. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers.